0: Hello and welcome, friends, to this week's edition of Truth to Power, a community conversation you won't hear anywhere else, right here on your community radio station, Forward Radio, WFMP Louisville, broadcasting at 106.5 FM and live streaming at ForwardRadio.org. Well, what we do here on Truth to Power is bring you conversations that you won't hear anywhere else on the dial, and today, I am really excited to bring you some highlights from the 2023 Kentucky Conservation Committee's annual legislative summit. Just took place last weekend held in Frankfurt on January 22nd. Today, we'll be bringing you the keynote presentation and Q&A by our newest U.S. representative for Kentucky's third congressional district, in the U.S. House of Representatives, Morgan McGarvey, who is succeeding Representative John Yarmuth to represent us here in Louisville and Washington. Representative McGarvey was formerly, of course, a member of the Kentucky Senate, representing the 19th district here in Louisville. And he has been in Washington, D.C. just a few weeks. We're going to get an insider's look at what is going on in Washington as the Republicans take control of the U.S. House of Representatives and what it means for us here in Kentucky. We'll also wrap it up at the end by hearing from Jordan Hedler, a consultant with the Sunrise Project on the attack on socially responsible investing that is taking place both nationally and right here in Kentucky. The Sunrise Project is different from the Sunrise Movement. It was founded in Australia in 2012 as a global network of change makers who believe in the power of social movements to change the world. They're passionate about building networks who can drive the transition from fossil fuels to clean energy to reduce greenhouse pollution and create a healthy and prosperous future for everyone. You won't want to miss this super excellent conversation that took place in Frankfurt on January 22nd and we will take you there now with an introduction by randy strobo from kentucky conservation committee of our brand new representative in the u.s house here on truth to power
1: all right i'm going to introduce our keynote speaker today it is uh, congressman mcgarvey so congressman mcgarvey now congressman mcgarvey he's always been a good friend of kcc i think he's participated in almost all of our summits uh, that we've had over the past five or six years he was a good friend in the senate he was always very transparent, uh, always available to us, helping us kind of get the inside tracked on some things. He was especially very helpful during our net metering fight several years ago. And, um, that bill could have been a lot worse if it, if it wasn't for Senator McGarvey. So, or sorry, Congressman McGarvey. But I've known Morgan for a long time. Uh, we went to high school together and, you know, when I started doing this work and, and Morgan or, Congressman McGarvey made it to the Senate. We had a really good partnership and worked well together then, and it was always a delight working with Morgan. And I'm um, happy that he's here today. But without further ado, I will introduce Congressman McGarvey of the 3rd District of Kentucky.
2: Thank you, Randy. Thank you, Lane. Thank you guys for having me. Please, no matter what, it's always just Morgan. So that name's not going to change. I should have known a couple of things. Number one, having done this enough times in the past i should have known it would snow this morning since we were having this conference today because it seems like more years than not we've had some inclement weather come up around this conference the second thing is i was driving here i can't believe i'm saying this but maybe it's great to be back in frankfurt um, <laughs> i do not i don't know if any of you guys noticed what washington's been like the last couple of weeks but it's sort of epitomized from the frying pan into the fire. The first week was absolutely crazy. I, I had one of my friends ask me, I said, so is it everything you dreamed it would be? And I had to say, no, <laughs> it is in fact nothing like I dreamed it would be. Uh, you know, we got there that first day and it's really exciting and, and people still think it's possible. The, the Republicans were projecting strength that, that they had it. Uh, and so, you know, we go down there, I take my kids on the floor, they're all dressed up and then I mean nothing and then nothing again (laughs) and then nothing again. Right. And so I mean, got to the point where the the kids were, were up there for the week, which was fun. But for those of you with small children can appreciate, we don't have a lot of super nice clothes for them to wear. Uh, in fact, that was the first time I think Wilson's ever been in a tie. Uh, and so what we would do is just, we'd take them every day and say, okay, maybe today's the day. And when as soon as we saw it wasn't, we would take them out of their nice clothes, we'd hang them up in the office, and we just try to save them for when the moment happened. Finally did, right? On on the 15th round of voting, they were able to choose a speaker. I think that the speakership was weakened in that process. I think it made the institution look bad. And now we have to figure out whose voice is the most important in Frankfurt, whose voice is the most important in Washington. Yours the answer is still the same. Your voice is the most important voice. We might still not have a speaker if there hadn't been pressure put on certain individuals to go ahead and move this process forward so we can start getting committees, so we can start doing some of this work, right? Your voice is still the most important voice in Washington. And your advocacy is incredibly important. Not only is it incredibly important, I get to report today that it's productive. Now, I know, given what we just saw in the first two weeks in Washington, that might seem counterintuitive, that your advocacy has been productive. But I heard Lane talking about this when I walked in. Look at what happened in the 117th Congress just a few months ago, passing the amazing bipartisan infrastructure bill and the Inflation Reduction Act. Those bills are hugely important, taking incredible steps to combat climate change in this country and in this world, made possible by advocates like yourselves. Pushing, pushing. Not for a day, not for a week, not for a month, but years of pushing for progress. That progress has to continue to be pushed for right that's why your voice is the most important voice in washington we are not on a one day or a one week time horizon we are truly fighting to make sure that we are making this country this planet a little better than how we found it and so when you look at the bipartisan infrastructure bill right and the and the inflation reduction act these bills are transformative right they're actually going to remake and reimagine how we move, how we build, what our homes look like. And I think it's important to note that passing legislation is one thing. But when President Biden signed these bills, it was nowhere close to the end of the journey. I view it far more as a new beginning, a new beginning for two reasons. One, we still have work to do. You know that. Two, now comes the work of implementing such important amazing legislation that is an area right now where your advocacy can continue to help because it is up to the people in this room it's up to our elected officials to make sure that we are educating people on what is in this bill and how they can take advantage of it i can promise you as your representative In Louisville and as Kentucky's Democratic representative in Washington, I'm going to do everything I can to bring every single dollar back to our communities to to combat climate change, to shape how we are doing our investments in our infrastructure here. But let's talk about some of the things we can tell people about. I I brought a few notes from the bill because I'll be honest. Last year I was in the state Senate when they were debating this bill. I can wax poetic on the Kentucky teacher retirement system. Uh, but as I'm learning the federal system, it's still, it's still coming in a little bit new. Um, but you know, it's $400 billion in the Inflation Reduction Act. $400 billion. Um, if you install rooftop solar or electric water heater, $1,200 tax credit for Kentucky families. $1,200 tax credit. If you want to install solar panels, install a heat pump, you can knock $2,000 off your bill right? $2,000 tax credit right there. Anybody here have or wanted an electric car? It's $4,500 tax credit for a used car for middle-class families. It's a $7,000 tax credit for a new electric vehicle for middle-class families. I think that's especially important here in Kentucky. I'm pretty bullish on this front. Some of you have heard me say this before, we powered the last energy revolution and we paid for it. We paid for it in everything from the majesty of our mountains to the cleanliness of our drinking water to the lives of our miners. We deserve to be on the forefront of the next energy revolution. I think Governor Bashir has done an amazing job in recruiting the electric battery plants to come to Kentucky. You know, he's gotten over $12 billion in economic development, $7 billion of that going directly towards those electric battery plants. Uh, manufacturing right here in the state. Let's continue to let people know the importance of this so we can, we can push for this type of green energy production, green infrastructure, and green jobs that can come from this. I think we deserve to be on the forefront. Of it, of um, You know, I think we've got the tools to do that. We have the people who know how to do that. We have the people who want to do that. The people who want to go back to work making sure that our country is powered and making sure that our country is powered in a sustainable way that makes this planet a little bit better than how we found it. So let's continue to work. You all have heard me in the past. I'm a big fan of making sure people's voices are heard. I am an optimist. And even though you can have a crazy, chaotic, historic first week like we did in Washington, where for the first time in a hundred years, They didn't choose a speaker on the first ballot for the first time in 150 years. It took that long to choose a speaker of the House. We can still make progress. The 117th Congress, by the way, had the same margin for Democrats being in the majority as Republicans have. Democrats still have the Senate. Democrats still have the White House. I hope That we can still find ways to work together to move the ball forward. Implementing bills like this with your help is the first step. Passing additional legislation that is helpful is the next step so that the next two years aren't spent in gridlock. I promise that I'm ready to go do my part, just as in Frankfurt. My door is always going to be open. My cell phone, which has not changed, is always going to be on uh, unless I'm literally flying on the plane. I haven't upgraded to get you know free Wi-Fi on the American flights yet, but uh, that's probably the next step. I will tell a funny story about the American Airlines flights because you know, when, you, when you fly out of Louisville, you see a lot of familiar faces on the American Airlines flights. And on one of my first flights to DC, it was me, Yarmouth, McConnell, and Bevan, all on the same, which by the way, is the beginning of a Kentucky political joke, right? <laughs> um, but then it's also funny how people receive information. And the next thing I know, I get pinged a couple of times by people saying, what were you doing on a plane with Bevin? I, was like, I, I don't know. I guess he bought an American Airlines ticket the same as I did to get to D.C. I don't, I don't know. Uh, I don't know why it was on there. Um, but, you know, it's, it's it, I'll always be accessible. And I think that we really do have so much good work to do. We have a great platform on which to build. The last Congress really was incredibly productive. I think you see people thinking and talking about energy differently. than even they did five, six years ago when we were having the net metering debates with with Randy and Lane. I see some other familiar faces, Andy, um, who are here. So, that's kind of my quick little spiel. Um, You know, we we go back to Washington tomorrow. I'll be back tomorrow. Um, Appreciate you all hanging with us as we get started. I will say that some of this transition has been just seamless congressman yarmouth is a great guy great to work with some of it has been exactly what you would think about from the federal government including them finding asbestos in the district office that we were moving into uh and us still not having an office here in louisville but we'll we'll get there (laughs) we'll 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 get there uh i mean it's even like you know it's like some of the people who worked for yarmouth um applied and, and we rehired to work on our team and you would think that they could have kept their email and phones, but, but alas, uh, <laughs> that's not the way it works in GSA. So we're getting up and going, but we're, we're ready to work, We're ready to work with you, continue to be a partner, this time on the federal level instead of the state level. And so thank you guys for inviting me back here, for being partners in this fight, and for doing all that you guys do. So thank you guys so much. Yeah, any questions for sure? Yeah.
3: Years ago, we asked uh, Representative Yarmouth to address a question at one of these meetings. I don't remember if you were there or not, because I was between cataract surgery and couldn't see very well. But the question is, if people want to be effective, mm-hmm. is it more important to advocate on the state or the national level? And I'm not going to tell the audience what he said, because you're the guy now who gets to
2: give your advice. So the, the first answer is yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm I'm coming at this, like, look, I was a state legislator for 10 years. I've, I've been a federal legislator for two weeks. Um, so a lot of my experience is still with the state legislature. So I, I want to start with the importance of that. I think the importance of state legislatures across this country is overlooked. I wish the state legislature here got the attention that even we receive now that I've seen in two weeks in being in Congress. Um, you know, if I go say something now, people pick it up, even though it's the exact same thing I've been saying for 10 years. Uh, I wish that people paid attention because you can call the Kentucky General Assembly anything you want to. And believe me, I have probably called it some of the same names. But you cannot call it a do nothing legislature. They are passing laws every single day they are in session that impact the daily lives of Kentuckians. As Happy Chandler once famously said, the legislature got it wrong. They meet for 60 days every two years instead of for two days every 60 years. And that's because when they're in session, they have a tremendous amount of power and they are able to use it. Uh, And so I think that using your advocacy on the state legislative level is really important they are able to do things more nimbly and more quickly than the federal government, as they should. I mean, when you think about it by design, as they should, uh, your access to the state legislature is greater than to the United States Congress, as it should be. Um, How many of you guys are actually living in the third congressional district right now? We couldn't have had this meeting in Washington as easily but you're able to come to the state capitol very easily. You're able to interact with state legislators just from your state very easily. So I think that it is, I wish more attention could be paid to the state legislature than is both by the media and by the public. Um, And I I just feel very strongly about that. And Yarmouth and I would talk about it, the importance of state legislatures. Now you said, which is more important? And that's the question that's hard to answer. Because you cannot ignore what the federal government is doing. When the federal government acts, it impacts every single American. Sometimes directly, sometimes indirectly. But that is our scope. That's why it takes us longer to do things. Because the legislation we pass impacts every single American. And you're not just arguing between people from Pikeville to Paducah. I mean, you're literally going, you know, from Pennsylvania to Palm Springs, right? And that's that's a much different dynamic than you get here. But when the federal government does legislation that can be transformative, it really is transformative. I was in the state general assembly when we implemented the, the Affordable Care Act. Over 400,000 Kentuckians, more than 10% of our state's population, got health care for the first time. The state legislature couldn't have done that. That had to come from the federal government. Over 700,000 Kentuckians, so including those 400,000, plus since we've implemented it over 700 i think it's like 735,000 kentuckians have received health care for the first time because of the implementation of the affordable care act right. we need to go further we need to go further so everyone has health care but that also is going to come from the federal government right so the federal government is able and capable of doing things that state government can't and so since you asked the question which is more important Heart, I, I don't want my first question in front of this group as a newly elected member of Congress to be equivocal. I think you can see greater change more quickly in the state legislature with your advocacy, but don't sleep on the federal government and don't give in. Don't give in. I was going to say don't give in, but don't give in. I know who our senators are, and I know that you probably feel like you're banging a your head against the wall, calling them and leaving a message, and telling them how to vote. But don't stop. Don't stop trying. Right. You know, they are our representatives in government and they need to know how we feel. And, and I hope that on some of these issues we can we can break through. We just we cannot give up in that regard. Well, I'm sorry if I talk too much about the state legislature, but I do sometimes miss it. Sometimes.
0: Uh, I have a question about, you know, our legislative branch has Senate Bill 50 and then House Bill 50 about making local elections partisan. On the other hand, across the country, uh, New Hampshire, they uh, defeated uh, House Bill 101, which uh, would have uh, dissolved
2: open primaries. So they're preserved open primaries. What do you think about open primaries and ranked choice voting for the future? I like ranked choice voting. Um, I do like ranked choice voting. I think you actually see some Democratic and Republican agreement on that issue on some of the local offices though I don't like them being partisan I don't think the school board race should be a partisan race should not should not I I do not think it should be a a partisan race I think for so many of these local elected positions we are better off having them nonpartisan I mean please help me lord in heaven above don't make our judicial races partisan that, that shouldn't enter into that at all. I feel the same way about school board. I feel the same way about a lot of these local elections. So kind of two questions there. I don't think some of those really local elections should be partisan. I do like ranked choice voting. And you know I think we see some of that in in Kentucky politics right now, where if a person of a certain party wins the primary, they're almost guaranteed to win the general election, in part because of something that I think is also a terrible ill in politics right now, which is partisan gerrymandering. Um, one of the reasons I'm a big supporter of the John Lewis Voting Rights Act in Congress, which would get rid of partisan gerrymandering across the country. Um, but that because of that partisan gerrymander, I think it also it, it it helps encourage the need for ranked choice voting.
1: All right. We have a question from Henry Jackson online. Um, Congressman McGarvey, is there any written state GOP statement on their importance or lack thereof regarding the climate crisis?
2: I don't know there's any written statement of it Uh, and and particularly and it's a great question because i think we need to highlight some of the divides on issues um i don't think we need to always harp on divides but i think we need to know who's talking about what so as a party i don't know um there were uh, in the inflation reduction act and the infrastructure bill republican members who voted in favor of it which is which is worth noting but i don't know if there's a party statement on it
4: how familiar are you on this when you were on the state level, and then just maybe hearing some things now on the federal level? Are you familiar with the Recovering America's Wildlife Act of the previous Congress? Just
2: a little bit. Yeah. Just yeah.
4: enough to get yourself hurt. Exactly <laughs> right.
2: Just enough to tell you something incorrect in a group of experts.
4: Well, it's okay. All right, I will just say for Kentucky, that was talking about bringing. Based on the, it's formula based just like other Fish and Wildlife Service programs and some other things. But that would be bringing under the current model over $15 million a year of just a federal portion. I can tell you that there are a lot of things in place based on the bill language of the previous Congresses. And I have heard that, you know, the plan is to to reintroduce. Um, The match would not be an issue for the state. Mm -hmm. And I would highly encourage you if you get the opportunity, if it does come up, um, you can contact myself or some other folks here in the room to help educate you on the bill and what that can do for the state. Um, one of the things that even when I was at Fish and Wildlife and now here that I take very seriously is understanding the interface between Fish and Wildlife resources. I did threatened and endangered species work on behalf of the Commonwealth for 25 plus years. And understanding that if we wanna keep continuing to have things like battery plans and other things that are moving us and being progressive, We have that interface with other critical resources, and it doesn't have to be an either-or. There are some wins to be had. That bill is very critical. We talk about infrastructure. We think about roads and airports and water treatment systems, but the ecological infrastructure is as important as everything else that we do here. And as long as Kentucky... We're not going to change our geography of where we are in the U.S. We are only going to become more desirable for people to want to live here and to enjoy what we have. And so, if that bill comes up, um, there's a lot to it. I've got a lot of history with it, and I'm not advocating for anything, but I can help provide some answers to things that may or may not be clear on behalf of the Commonwealth.
2: Thank you. Do you have a Do you have a card with you today? Yeah,
4: they don't give me cards. No. Okay. Okay.
2: We'll get We'll get your info. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. Because and especially. I'm learning too, as I get into this office, having a staff is really a luxury. You know, in the state Senate, I went from sharing uh, one staff with two other senators to when I got in leadership, sharing uh, one staff with one other member uh, was one of the real perks. So having a staff and we've hired a legislative director and want to make sure we get everybody in touch because thank you. That helps.
1: I had a general question. You may not have been quite there quite long enough to answer this, but what is the situation with being able, if you're in D.C., to get a meeting with staffers or this congressperson or senator themselves. We generally meet with staffers, but uh, because of the January 6th, mm-hmm. they've kind of cut way back on allowing people They have to get advanced, whereas we used to just set up meetings and go over there. The, are you familiar with what the situation is now? Because we have a meeting in March, and we try to meet with staffers then, and they put a day right in the middle for our day on the Hill, and it's like, why are you doing this when these are probably going to be done by Zoom?
2: Um, I do have a feel for it a little bit. At least I, I, I should say I have a feel for it now because keep in mind what I've heard people talk about, and they still talk about it, was the double whammy, the trauma of January 6th, which is still real and COVID, uh, which also was, you know, was spiking in January 6th of 2021. So you really had a double whammy of getting people in and out of Capitol Hill at that time. Uh, It's far more open right now, far more open. Yeah. If you go through security, you can come into the Longworth building where my office is. Uh, We're 1527 Longworth on the fifth floor. So um, what I've set is sort of um, an optimistic and I hope a realistic, but uh, goal of if you're from Kentucky and want to meet with our office, we're going to meet with you. And if I'm there that I at least want to say hello. If I can. So that's, that's the way we did it in the state Senate, as Randy can tell you, we really value that input from home and take seriously, not only our role as a representative from Louisville, but again, as Kentucky's democratic voice in Washington. And so it's not just for the third district. We feel that way about Kentuckians. And if you call, I imagine you'll be able to meet with somebody in our office. If you have trouble, let me know
1: so you've been a great supporter of the kentucky conservation committee in frankfort and i'm glad to hear i know that's going to continue on with you in washington dc but do you have some particular goals or things that you're aimed at working on there that you want to focus on beyond those <laughs> or in addition to
2: yeah and and it's funny you ask that today we got the letter about committees um and, I, and i'm learning this process as you go along we're in the we're from the majority of the minority so we're going to lose spots on committees as democrats I'm diving a little bit down in the weeds here just to give you guys a glimpse of what I'm learning. And whenever that happens, it's harder for freshmen. The Republicans also cut the size of the committee. So not only are the Democrats losing members by shifting the minority, but for many of the committees, the Republicans are actually cutting the total number of of members. And it's not just on committees like Energy and Commerce or Education and Labor, which they have renamed Education and Workforce it's even committees like veterans are getting smaller. And so that's going to make it more difficult for Democrats to be on their committees. It's going to make it really difficult for the freshman Democrats to get on their committee work. And the reason I bring this up, when you ask about my priorities, you can still legislate outside of committees, but the committees is where you have the most influence over what you do, because that's where you're sitting. That's where your colleagues are. That's the staff you have, the committee staff that you're using, and you're able to kind of push for your priorities. Um, so, I do have priorities outside of that, uh, and, and it's hard to rank them. It's like it's like asking me which one is my favorite child. I, mean, I have one, but I'm not going to tell you. Uh, <laughs> and to be fair to them, it changes on the by the day. Um, <laughs> The favorite child today was not the favorite child yesterday, um, but she realized what she was doing yesterday. So that's, uh, so we're good. Yeah. So, I mean, look, and I think, so this is my, I'm going to, I'm going to get to the, my shoot straight answer with you after prefacing it with a lot. It also depends on, on what fights are in front of us. Less than a year ago, a year ago from right now, I don't think many people in this room would have predicted that women's reproductive health care was completely under assault. And just this week in the New York Times, there was another article about pushing for a nationwide ban on abortion. That is one where we just have to absolutely stand up in the breach and keep that from happening. Uh, So, you know, protecting women's health care is a big issue. You guys have heard me talk about renewable energy, the importance of it, not only for our country, for our planet, but for our state here in Kentucky is hugely important. Um, I'm kind of like a Game of Thrones fan. I don't know if there's any Game of Thrones fans here but I view climate change a lot as like the white walkers. Everybody's arguing about what's happening on the iron throne, but there's this sort of force that's coming in uh, that that really is one of the most, you know, if we don't handle climate change we will be one of the most destructive forces that we're all going to be forced to deal with at some point. Um, you know, I'm very interested in, I've seen the success here in Kentucky and the fight for everyone to have healthcare and whether that's on the big fight, of making sure that everyone has healthcare, regardless of your employment status, regardless of your health status, that, that everyone gets health care. That's a big fight that we have to have. There's little fights along the way, um, including some of the crazy things that insurance companies are doing and some of the things that they're requiring that are preventing people from getting health care, that I think we can we can also have simultaneously. And then education. Uh, I still believe that education is a huge generational fix in this country. And so that having Another look at the education system, almost rethinking it a little bit. For decades, the education model in this country has been K-12 through for public education. Why? We know, in reams of data out there, the advantages of starting school early. You know, tomorrow morning, I will drop my four-year-old off at preschool. She shouldn't be special. Every kid in this city, in this state, in this country, should have access to a public preschool option. right why do we start at kindergarten why do we stop at 12th grade i'm talking public school i'm not saying get rid of colleges and universities i'm talking about public school whether it is a type of training whether it's a type of certificate whether it's additional schooling for kids who are 18 years old why do we stop at 12th grade and so i think that in the education space there's some really big but i don't even think it's that bold We've known for a long time the benefits of early childhood education. We've known for a long time the benefits of if you have some type of certificate and some type of training post twelfth grade, the chances of you leading a successful life out of poverty. And we know how to get there: start early, go a little bit later. So I mean, those are those are kind of you know between healthcare, environment, education, protecting women's rights from the assaults currently under right now. I think those those are four pretty big ones for me. So what- Yes. Do you know yet? No, and I'm, and so if I'm boring you guys with like Washington workings, just nod and somebody say that they've got to go to the bathroom, we'll take another break. So there's four what they call exclusive committees in Congress. And all exclusive means is if you get one of those four committees, you cannot get another committee until every other member of your caucus has selected their committees. That's why they call them exclusive. A lot of people just focus on those four. Those four are, as you guys could probably guess a few of them, ways and means, appropriations financial services and energy and commerce energy and commerce is such a big committee because not only does it deal with energy and commerce but within that is healthcare uh there isn't a healthcare committee so uh over 50% of the bills in congress oftentimes are jurisdictionally related to energy and commerce i don't think there will be a single freshman democrat on any one of those four committees what we're doing right now is kind of putting our markers down for how we get on one of those committees in the future. And there's a whole bunch of not just legislative politics, but regional politics that play into it because they divide us all into regions. So I'm in Region 10, West Virginia, Kentucky, Ohio, and Pennsylvania. They do want regional representation on there. The problem is if there's other people from your region already on those committees, how do you get on them? So figuring that whole thing out. Then you get to kind of what you call every other committee, um, which there's some big ones within that. I mean, I I gave you the four exclusive committees, but I left some big ones out. Transportation and infrastructure, judiciary, education and labor, oversight, agriculture, Armed services, those are not exclusive committees. Uh, the budget committee where Yarman was, where Yarmouth was the chairman, um, of that committee. None of those are exclusive committees, but they're kind of what you call major committees. Um, if you want to look at the, the less sought after committees, uh, look at what George Santos got. Uh, he got the, <laughs> I mean, he might have said he was chairman of Ways and Means, but he's actually, uh, not on, not on those committees. So. He got, I think he got science and something else, although he might have told him he was a scientist, so.
0: He might as well. Is it like dealing with the media? You know, we're always thinking about what, you know, the group whole opposition media, how much of an influence is that on you and your
2: I will say it's a little strange, you know, when not to sound like a, a neophyte Kentucky kid, Uh, But, you know, when you're walking through the Hall of the Capitol and somebody stops you and says they're from the New York Times or the Washington Post, you know, it's a little bit of, you know, uh, this is a new moment. Uh, Look, I, I think to what we talked about with the state legislature, I think the media does a better job covering the United States Congress, which is why it gets so much more attention. We don't get as much exposure on the state legislative level. And therefore, a lot of stuff is able to go unnoticed. Unfortunately, I think fewer things go unnoticed. On the national scale, now I do think that they are still playing to certain personalities and types and stories, you know. So everybody knows who a certain number of members of Congress are, but until now, what have they done in Congress? You know, what what legislation has Marjorie Taylor Greene stopped or passed? But everybody knows who she is, so I think there's some of that, you know, that, that goes on. But I think by and large, they do a really good job of covering the body, or a better job than they do here.
3: I'm sorry, could you please repeat the four exclusive committees sure. I saw, Ways and Means and Energy and Commerce?
2: Mm-hmm. Appropriations, appropriations, which because of my time in the state legislature, I often call appropriations and revenue and people in Washington look at me like I'm crazy. But it's just appropriations. And then it's financial services. Appropriations. So budget sets what the budget is and does what they call the reconciliation process on the budget appropriation spends the money budget tells you how much money you have and how you can use it appropriation spends it yep and how rogers is the longest serving member of congress so just your fun little congressional fact of today he is number one and on the back of all the little congressional pins they actually put your seniority number so even though i'd like to be number one in your hearts i'm 408 in seniority <laughs> <laughs> and within Within class, they do it by alphabetical order. So in the freshman class, the M's actually fall kind of late this year. So Yarmouth would have been (laughs) Yarmouth would have been low in a big class. Brett Guthrie, on the other hand, this shows you the turnover we've had. Brett Guthrie got elected in 2008. Also, I'll leave you not leave you, but tell you a good story about Congress. The Kentucky delegation, for the most part, does get along. Brett Guthrie called me and said, "Hey, I know you've got some family coming up. I've been here a long time." why don't you take one of my gallery tickets so that both your mom and your dad can see you get sworn in. So really super nice guy. He got elected in 08. He is already 89th in seniority, which is a pretty big turnover in that amount of time. Um, so Hal Rogers is number one. He was elected in 1980. I think the year Randy and I were born. And then uh, Guthrie's 89th and then everybody else somewhere back to me who's 408th.
3: All right. We want to thank our very, very special guest for thank coming you today, and uh, and and we really appreciate everything you do, Morgan, and especially helping us connect what you're doing now in the U.S. Uh, level uh, back to the state level, and uh, and we will keep in touch. And thank you. So, with that, I'm going to turn this over to Jordan from the Sunrise Project. Uh, Sunrise Project has really been on top of this whole socially responsible investment attack topic. We started talking to them several months ago on this issue and they reached out to us, but I know they've been really shopping this uh, in the media as well. So let's turn it over to Jordan, if you could introduce yourself.
5: Well, good afternoon, everyone. My name is Jordan Hetler and I'm really glad to be with you today. First, I'll just tell you briefly who I am. So I am a recent congressional staffer. Until late last year, I was working on the House Financial Services Committee, overseeing the federal banking agency's development of a climate risk supervision framework. And since June of last year, I've started working with the Sunrise Project and a coalition of organizations and advocacy groups that are very focused on climate financial regulation, both in terms of trying to apply that framework to the state governmental context, and also defending against the attacks that Lane mentioned, where a number of politicians nationally have started to to begin framing um, socially responsible investing as a sort of woke capitalism. And I will describe that and talk a little bit about some of the trends that we're seeing. Uh, But if you just go to the next slide, I'll begin with a general, very brief overview of what climate financial regulation is even all about. You may be asking yourself, what does climate change have to do with the safety and soundness of the financial system? And just very briefly, I will mention that Climate change is conceived of as a threat to our economy and to the stability of the financial system by grouping the risks into two major categories. And those major categories both have relevance to state governments and to state budgets. You see physical risks, and that's damages from growing floods and wildfires and other climate disasters. A recent report by Pew calculated the billions and billions of dollars in state budget costs from the growing wildfire problem, particularly in the, in the West. But, you know, Kentucky, as you know, is not immune to this. You've had major floods and tornadoes over the last few years. You see transition risks and that is generally thought of as the risks from the, costs associated from a transition. In other words, there are a number of banks, insurance companies, and underwriters that have big exposure to fossil fuel companies. And this is relevant in the context of state governments as well, the recovery picture for state governmental budgets coming out of the COVID-19 recession that we had in 2020. And you'll see that States with more dependence on fossil fuel revenue to balance their budgets, like Alaska, Texas, Oklahoma, etc., were experiencing much larger shortfalls than other states. So since 2021, the federal government has started to you know, recognize climate as and the risks that it poses to the financial system. And the Financial Stability Oversight Council, which is a, a regulatory body that was created after the 2008 crash, issued a report in 2021 that first identified the threat and outlined how climate change is posing problems for financial stability and then directed a number of financial regulators to start to take action. And that's what's called the climate risk supervision framework that I mentioned earlier. Uh, There are a slew of sort of uh, regulatory actions that have stemmed from this, but I will just mention a couple of them because they're especially relevant to what's happening in the States. And those are that the SEC began to standardize what's known as environmental, social, and governance investing, or ESG. And they issued standards last year that basically found that, you know, an investment manager can't offer an ESG index fund to investors that includes something like, you know, Exxon or a major fossil fuel company as having good climate policies. And then the Department of Labor finalized the rule in December that basically says that fiduciary duty and the fiduciary obligation that investment managers and the federal government have in making sure that retirees' investment money is managed responsibly can take climate risk and ESG factors into account. This has prompted a significant backlash, and that backlash is happening mostly in the states. In 2021, Texas passed a bill that prohibits Texas state government and the state chief financial officer from investing with companies that they have labeled to be energy boycotters or firearms boycotters. And they're not going after absolutely everyone or taking a really broad brush. They're mostly targeting really giant financial institutions, the very biggest institutional investors, well-known asset managers and banks that you will recognize like BlackRock, J.P. Morgan Chase, Morgan Stanley, Wells Fargo, etc. And these companies don't necessarily have policies that boycott energy companies or firearms producers. But the, the politicians who are promoting this philosophy are very concerned that these companies would put any teeth behind some of the net zero commitments that they've made or the ESG policies that they've begun to pursue. And so the bill passed in 2021 in Texas, Texas was for about a year the only state that passed it, and then this effort really dramatically escalated beginning last spring. And in a period of just a few weeks between about February and June of last year, six additional states passed laws that resembled Texas's, including Kentucky, which passed SB 205, which is nearly identical to Texas's law, although it hasn't been um, implemented quite so much yet, so we don't know all of the ins and outs of how it's going to be implemented, but Attorney General Dan- Daniel Cameron and Treasurer Alison Ball have been very vocal parts of this sort of national backlash backlash against socially responsible investing. Now, let's look at some of the costs that are associated with this. A study came out last year that was done by two economists at the Wharton School And they looked at the impact of Texas's law over the first 12 months. And what they found was that it was having a really significant impact on the municipal bond market because banks and individual um, financial institutions that do a ton of the underwriting of debt that states and cities need to do to meet their costs were withdrawing from the municipal bond market out of fear that they would either be arbitrarily labeled uh, one of these companies on the boycott list, or once um, the Texas Comptroller published the list of companies that they actually were um, uh, identified as a a company that um, Texas could no longer do business with. And so that really had the effect of constraining competition within the municipal bond market. There were fewer banks offering bids on debt throughout Texas and the economists estimated that in just the first eight months that the law was in effect, the bill raised debt servicing costs for Texas communities by as much as half a billion dollars. It was $532 million that was estimated in that study. Now that study got a lot of media attention and we put some resources into using the same methodology that that study had used and just published another study last week that looked at the impact on the muni bond market in six additional states on top of Texas, three of which have already passed a law similar to Texas's and three of which seem like they're um, likely to early this year. Um, and so the states that have passed the law are Kentucky, Oklahoma, and West Virginia. In Kentucky, you'll see that we estimate that in the next 12 months, this is gonna cost um. Kentucky communities as much as $70 million just in the first year that the law is in effect. And then Florida and Louisiana and Missouri, they haven't actually passed the law yet, but we expect that they may very well in the next few months. You'll also see that the Texas law is already causing major problems for communities throughout Texas. This is a headline from an article about a very small school district south of Dallas that had a bond deal with UBS that they had to cancel. And this was because UBS was placed on uh, Texas's naughty list. And, um, and so this school, as a consequence, this school district that has only about 150 students um, district wide, uh, had to pursue more expensive uh, bond underwriting um, through no fault of their own uh, just because they had utilized the bank as an underwriter. Um, just this week, uh, it was reported that City, which in some years um is the largest Muni bond participant uh in the entire country, um, some years they're number two, but in any in any event, they are a massive player. Um, it was just reported this week that city is no longer participating in the Texas bond market. And that's as a consequence of the Texas Attorney General basically preventing them from doing so. We'll look a little bit at Kentucky specifically, because as I mentioned, Attorney General Cameron has been implementing this law and participating in this rhetoric quite aggressively. And he's not the only um, Kentucky politician At the federal level, uh, Congressman Andy Barr, who is a Republican on the House Financial Services Committee, has a bill that essentially does at the federal level what some of these state laws have done. And he has been attempting to repeal the Department of Labor rule that I mentioned. And we've seen in a number of states that aspects of the business community and bankers associations are um, speaking out against these bills. In Utah, the Salt Lake Chamber of Commerce came out against some of the proposed legislation. In Indiana and Arizona, the bankers' associations in both uh states were integral in opposing last uh the legislation as it started to move last year. And that was you know integral in actually preventing those bills from from passing, both in Indiana and Arizona. And and Kentucky is no exception, the Kentucky Bankers Association took a position against SB 205 last year, but that didn't prevent the legislature from passing it into law. So now they're suing the attorney general in a very high profile suit against enforcing the legislation. And, you know, the positions kind of differ from place to place, but there are three main reasons why the bankers are against these bills. Um, One is like, they don't like to be told where to do, what to do, where to invest or most importantly, how to factor in decisions that they make about lending to businesses and communities. Um, these sort of forced fossil fuel financing laws compel them to ignore risks that federal regulators are already increasingly asking them to be mindful of and to manage. And then the final reason is that ESG investing is just a practically practical and sensible um, business practice that many corporations choose to voluntarily adopt and a 2016 study found that it was helpful in anticipating and avoiding exposure to corporate bankruptcies and there's a a wide body of evidence that is actually um, helpful in building strong fund um, financial performance lastly there's one thing that unites republican and democratic appointed state banking commissioners alike And that's their power to issue de novo charters to new banks. That is to start a new bank in the state of Kentucky that's regulated primarily by the Kentucky Banking Commissioner. And to the extent that these laws interfere with that power by blocking the creation of new banks that might want to experiment with like a green banking model, that harms Kentucky businesses and fosters a less competitive banking environment. Um, And so in their lawsuit against the attorney general, the Kentucky Bankers Association laid out arguments similar to the ones that I just made. And they pointed specifically to the tornadoes in western Kentucky that were so deadly in 2021 and then to the flooding in eastern Kentucky last year and said that many of those uh, risks were exacerbated by climate change. They had had to do a lot of lending to um, support relief to those communities. And it just didn't make sense to direct them or compel them to ignore risks like that in um, conducting their business going forward. Um, so how do we get um, arguments like what the Kentucky Bankers Association are making against these laws to be um, well understood and, and, and to help fight these laws as they're they're passing in other states? We've done a lot of message testing and polling, studying this issue, and some of the results from a message that we tested that emphasizes the free market aspect of this and how this is antithetical to free market principles. Now we found that that's a very persuasive argument to Republicans. It's not necessarily the most effective argument across the board, but Republican voters, you know, are offended by the sort of hypocrisy of of that argument. But this is the single most effective argument that sort of cuts across all types of different segments of the electorate. A message that emphasizes how this is putting hard-earned retirement money at risk is the message that voters tend to find the most compelling. And then I think that this is an, an important point. You know, we're seeing an energy transition that is beginning to accelerate, and many businesses are... Increasingly, you know, invested in in clean energy. That's going to provide a lot of jobs. And states don't necessarily want to, you know, regardless of how traditionally their their states have been um, integrated with the fossil fuel industry. Um, state uh, voters don't want to miss out on that um, sort of clean energy revolution that's already underway, um, and they want their state investment funds to be integrated with the economic benefits that that is providing. Um, sort of ESG as a risk management tool, you see a lot in the insurance space. Uh, the insurance space is a mostly a state regulated set of policies and voters overwhelmingly want insurance policy to be mindful of the increased costs and hazards, withdrawals, premium spikes, all of these things that we're seeing in many states as a result of growing exposure to climate risk. And you know whether it's insurance or banks or state budgets, people want their politicians to protect them from the economic pain and chaos that the climate crisis is imposing. And so, showing that there are alternative policies out there is another effective way of showing how wrongheaded these bills are. So I will just close by saying that there's a few things you can do in Kentucky about this this law. I would say. First of all, monitor the enforcement of this law, be you know following what um, the treasurer, what the attorney general's office are doing to implement this law. And most especially, I would say, organize state and municipal officials, school district members, um, city council members, county commissioners to speak out about the trends that they are noticing in the bond market, speak out through resolutions and press interviews each time that a bond deal is canceled and they have to pursue more costly financing elsewhere and um make sure that the costs and risks that this new law SB205 is imposing on Kentucky comes up in your statewide elections you're having this year and please don't hesitate to reach out uh to me or other people who are working on this uh this effort around the country both about um how to how to um defend against these attacks on socially responsible investing and perhaps pursue some of those alternative policies that i mentioned Um, and i'll close there happy to take any questions
3: okay we'll take a few questions here and uh i just want to mention too that the full report of the finances is also online on the links we've put together a a one-pager about um, a summary of some of these points specific to kentucky and we will have these slides up on Online as well, so you will have all the all the information you want on this. Do we have questions? What's this fellow's name again, and who's he with?
5: Yeah, my name is Jordan Hetler, and I am I'm working with the Sunrise Project. I have a website because I'm a sort of independent consultant as, as well.
3: Yeah, Sunrise Project is not the same as Sunrise Movement. Correct.
5: Yeah, that's that's correct. Often confused.
0: Okay, Jordan, thanks so much.
5: And that is how
0: things wrapped up in Frankfort, Kentucky just last weekend on January 22nd when the Kentucky Conservation Committee held their annual legislative summit, and we got to get that great update on the attack on socially responsible investing with Jordan Hetler of the Sunrise Project. You can learn more about them at sunriseproject.org. And before that, we heard from our brand new U.S. House of Representatives member, Morgan McGarvey, moving on up from the Kentucky Senate to the U.S. House of Representatives in Washington. And it was great to touch base with him. You can learn more and get some great online resources for advocacy and learn more about all the issues that were brought up at the Kentucky Conservation Committee's annual legislative summit by going to kyconservation.org. Find the legislative resources 2023 page there. And thank you so much for tuning in to Truth to Power here on Forward Radio. My name is Justin Mogg. It's been a pleasure bringing you these highlights from last weekend's KCC Annual Legislative Summit. And we look forward to being back in your ears, bringing more conversations you won't hear anywhere else right here on Forward Radio in one week's time, my friends. Be well.